Hey guys, I really went to town on the visually enhanced YouTube version of this episode of Star Wars You by podcast. So treat your eyes because there is plenty of funny stuff in the video and quite a few never-before-seen photos in there as well. The link is youtube.com forward slash Steel Wars, but the direct link straight to the video is in this episode's podcast notes. Either way, it's a ripper episode. Hope you enjoy it. Hey you guys, welcome to Star Wars Year by Podcast. I am your co-host, Steel Saunders, and I do love Patreon All Access bonus episodes, episode 18 of the Star Wars Year by Podcast, and we are, of course, joined by our co-host from Blue Harvest, the Beard of Knowledge, Horsburger. Happy to be here, buddy. I'm, I'm happy you're happy. I see you're happy, <laughs> and I match it with joy. Wonderful. This is going to be a great episode. Now, here's the deal. We're going through this book, mm-hmm. year by year, year mm-hmm. by podcast, which follows you know, Star Wars news as well as pop culture. If we get if if this book, which it should, mention in some way He Man and the Masters of the Universe, judging by our pre episode chat, that could be a very long episode. Yeah, and what what are we eighty four was He Man when it first launched? I feel like it. I feel like it was when you know, Star Wars was weakened. Mattel mm-hmm. just grabbed that power sword and just, yeah. Yeah, because I remember Shift watching him. that uh, Netflix documentary about, you know, the history of He-Man or whatnot and being kind of surprised that it came out as early as it did because it was still around for me to be into when I was a kid. Yeah. Interesting. All right, but we're not, we can't, we can't, <laughs> we have got a loaded episode. When um, I, I texted Hawes in our, our pre-episode text and I was like, there's no way we're getting more than a page done on this one because it is, it is ripe. It is ripe for our sickos who are the people that read along with us. We are on page 98 of Star Wars Year by Year, a visual history updated and expanded edition. Mm. And for those triple sickos, those real neens out there, we will also have a link to a video enhanced version of this episode on YouTube. So if you just look in the show notes, there should be a, a direct link and then you can watch it with um, some fun pictures, some visual stimuli whores. Have, have you checked out any of these? Yeah, I have. I, I really like them. They are fun. 
Thanks, buddy. And even if you haven't and you're just saying that to um, cover for my ego, I appreciate it either way. So, Buddy, I watch a lot of YouTube, let me tell you. So finding a spare hour to check out the job you did on our podcast, easy. Really? I thought that could have gone the other way where you've got, hey, listen, buddy, I'm watching a lot of YouTube. I don't need to see some pictures next to the uh, delightful things I've said to you previously. No, man, I've, I'm already in the ecosystem, as they say. Okay, well, we are yin and yang, our positive and negative takes on things. But if you want to go back to the creation of something very positive, 1982. Yes. Oh, 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 real quick. Oh. I had two things, two topics. This better not be about He-Man. It's not. Okay. It, it, it's these two topics I can almost guarantee aren't covered in this book. So, and I'm dying to ask you about both of them. Gotcha. Number one, I'm going to need an update on the Lost Rewatch. How's that going? Oh, oh man. It is coming down to the wire horse. It is, right? You're in season six. Yeah, we got like, on our Hulu, it says how many unseen episodes there are. Five. Oh, you're getting close. Oh, man. And, and the thing is, because they're syndicated episodes, so I feel like three of those are the last episode. Oh, yeah. I don't know if they did do... The combined, because the last episode was like two and a half hours long. I remember they gave it some extra time. Okay, well, I, I, I hope, because all, like, now we're down to the wire. Like, we're already beginning the morning process. Oh, I was about to say, get the tissues ready, buddy, because there's some rough business coming. It is, um, hey, listen. No one's going to argue that... We didn't see enough of someone leaving a group of people, then Kate going after them to bring them back. Oh, that is all she does, like, the last little bit of that show. It is. She's a, a huge offender. But all of them in the last season, they're just they they're escaping somewhere. And then later on, they sort of just come back of their own free will and... There's just so many... F oh, we've got to go find this person. Except for the two people that desperately need to find each other. Yeah, and lot of new locations never before seen in the show. You know what I mean? They're like, did I you know there's a lighthouse here? I tell you who can't believe it is Jack. He's now telling everyone about this lighthouse. He's like, He's like hey, dude. I went up to Jacob's lighthouse, saw this stuff in the mirror... It was so good. Oh, take me up to it. Oh, no, I smashed it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a cave with names in it and stuff. Like, yeah, oh. they, they bring. Oh, yeah. What about the payoff? Because you hear about it so much. And I'm, I'll try to, you know, remain as vague as possible. But finally seeing the temple. Because they talk. I feel like they start talking about the temple in season three or something. Like, yeah, oh, well, I wasn't too we got to go to the temple. I don't know. The temple was. It was just weird because it's like, oh, there's another whole village now. Yeah. Like, like the, how big is this island, Hawes? Pretty big, I guess. 
I do um like one of my bugbears and if Robbo's listened to this, it'll drive him insane. Has been with Lost is the time. Apparently like that when they're all like Jack was only on the island for like three months. Yeah, or so, so they they crash in August or September. They always say the date, right? Like they're like, the plane went missing on such and such date. And then I remember in season four, they're like, hey guys, did you know today is Christmas? You remember mm, that? Mm, mm. And then season four is is like towards the end of the first run on the island or whatever, right? So yeah, yeah. it's like three or four months tops. Yeah, so and I a was a lot so- of stuff happens. Yeah, I was sort of like Ah, oh, they you know should be there for longer to really weather what had happened to them. Mm-hmm. But it does sort of fit with that there was all this stuff <laughs> on the island they didn't find. Yeah, and you know, but I got the- but actually, okay. I take that back because then other people who have been on the island for let's just say three months and three years, right? They've never seen that stuff either. <laughs> Well, they were kind of in one location for most of that, too. They're busy. Yeah. They had jobs to do, literally. Okay. All right. All they right. got employed. Well, um, we're really nutting this out. So I was going to say, you know, I got the big, uh, like, Blu-ray box set when they finally released it. I uh, avoided buying Lost on DVD or anything when it was airing because I just wanted to wait and get, like, the full season in one go. Mm-hmm. So I went all out, and it comes in like this Egyptian-looking chest, and it's got, like, little games inside it. Like, there's a backgammon board, and um, there's, like, clues hidden in the packaging, and there's a hidden disc you have to find. And in there is a map of the island. And you know how they—you know there's that secondary little island off to the side? Hydro Island. Right. That they say is— um. What what's the? They always say it's about the size of Ellis Island, isn't that what they say? When they they're like, it's another island and it's about the size of such and such. I think it's Ellis Island that they compare it to. And when you see the map of the two islands side by side, like the main island is huge compared to the other one. So Ellis Island is not the island the Statue of Liberty is on. It's the one next to it that they have little events on. Is that is that right or am I? <sighs> I, I'm not sure. I kind of thought it was where the Statue of Liberty is. <clears throat> How big is that up? Does, does it have much more land than the actual statue? Ellis Island is a federally owned island in New York Harbor that was the United States' busiest immigration inspection sta- station from 1892 to 1954. Excuse me. Yeah, see, I think it's um, a separate island. I think you're right. Is it Liberty Island? No. Man, our uh, listeners that are like East Coast based are like, what are these guys talking about? Dude. It's on Liberty Island. So it is two different islands. Pause. Yeah. (laughs) You're going to love this. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know how I... Made my call, my my locked in, who wants to be a millionaire, answer that they were separate islands. How? 
from when <laughs> in The Godfather Part 2. <laughs> okay. Don Corleone, as a young boy, arrives mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at Alice Island and he looks out the window and sees the Statue of Liberty. Hey, man, whatever it takes. What an education. No, nah, for, for real. Okay, second topic. This, I was listening to a podcast this week and they brought up a corporate spokesperson or mascot that I hadn't thought about in a few years, and it reminded me of a funny story with my dad. And then I wondered, was that a thing in Australia? Was Mac tonight a thing in Australia? Did he play the piano? Yes. Was his head a banana or a moon? It was a crescent moon. Yeah, I reckon we... I, I'm aware of it, and I'm yeah. pretty sure we had it. What, what okay. was what was? Is this like a, like the McDonald's Max Headroom or something? So, from what I understand, Mac tonight was an attempt by McDonald's to make them seem a little less kitty and more like classy, or like you know, like for the whole, f- or you know, it's not just for kids because of Ronald McDonald. Let's let's um. But spice it up and get a like a cool mascot. Let's get Mac tonight. And he was. He was a guy who had a moon for a head and he played the p- piano. And I remember as a kid, I thought he was neat because the commercials were like it was a dude in a suit. So it looked like a puppet and stuff. And I just I was like, wow, that's cool. Um, and it you, was- you, you would have been the kid in the Simpsons universe that lamented the death of Poochie. Yes. Yeah, um, and apparently it was Doug Jones in the suit that was Mac tonight. Who's Doug Jones? He's in the Hellboy movies. He's the fish guy in the Hellboy movies. Mm-hmm. He's been in other stuff. That's my oh, immediate pull. That's better than him coming from the Jonestown massacre. So um, for sure, credit to him. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't know if that made it. If that was like an American ad campaign, it didn't last very long, from what I remember, and it was sort of towards the tail end of my parents doing the McDonald's stuff. But I have this very vivid memory of being in the McDonald's with my dad sort of later at night, like probably as they were closing or just had just closed. And there was a TV in the lobby, like mounted in the corner. And from what I remember, it just kind of played McDonald's ads and promotional stuff, right? And there was a Mac Tonight commercial. It's like, hey, TV, we're already here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, uh, there was a Mac Tonight commercial playing, and I'm standing next to my dad, and he's just standing there in his, like, white shirt and tie with the black slacks, arms crossed watching it. And as soon as it finishes, he says to seemingly nobody in particular, I just hate it so much. <laughs> Is that what drove him out of the franchise game? <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> Mac tonight was the final straw. I don't know. I I will hope um, some Australian listeners can chime in. I, I'm beginning now. Maybe I'm going for no. It wasn't. I'm mm, ju- okay. I'm just weighing up the amount of space Mac tonight is taking up in my brain, and I don't think it's also sort of younger me. But anyway, 
I told you I worked at a McDonald's. Yeah, that's part of the reason I wanted to know is because I couldn't – I was trying to put the timeline together of when Mac Tonight was a thing and – like kind of wondering if maybe you would have come across Mac. If I if I had worked with Mac, is that what yeah, you're going to ask? Yeah. No, I um. Oh man, I remember Birdie. She was a new one. She was there to promote the breakfast menu. Yep, I I know Birdie. Fry I, guys, grimace. Have I ever told you about how good I can crack eggs? Is it because of working at McDonald's? Yeah. Is that no. where you got your skills? Well. I was I was a breakfast specialist. Nice. It got me in six a.m. Which it's so funny now. Six a.m. when you're like seventeen is like a prison sentence. <laughs> yeah. When you're a parent, <laughs> it's like a sleep in. <laughs> so um, yeah, I would rock up at six six a.m. The clock would tick. One hour to set up the store, to be ready with your Egg McMuffins. Everything turned on, everything out. It was, oh, it was, it was 24 before its time. It was very exciting. But um, because we were down in a holiday area, on New Year's Day, we were the busiest McDonald's in the country. Oh, man. Breakfast especially. Ooh, people got to fight that hangover, huh? They had to bring in, I think maybe they ditched, maybe they still did it. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe because like on the grills, there was two grills and, you know, they cook sausage. So there was four essentially that have sausage on one, bacon on one, eggs like poaching on one and scrambled. And I feel like maybe they ditched scrambled eggs off the menu for the day. They went to neighboring McDonald's stores and brought in more egg poachers. Nice. One man. Steel Saunders. Well, one boy alone. <laughs> but he walked out a man covered <laughs> in yolk. I could do it, like grab three in each hand and go dun dun dun. Nice. It was like. At one point, I had an assistant, like, to get me the eggs. I had to crack them so fast, right? Mm -hmm. And at one point, I looked at him and I was just like, he'd have to be impressed with how fast I'm doing this. Like, I am in the <laughs> Matrix. There's yolk flying up in slow-mo. It Honestly, it was a hefty shower afterwards to get rid of the yolk, like, out of my eyebrows and stuff. Because, mm -hmm. oh, my God maybe the greatest day of my life. I always wanted to man the grill or the fryer at my parents' McDonald's. They never let me. The The only thing I ever got to do was, in some cases, they'd let me stand in the drive through window area and fulfill drink orders. And uh, he would let me mark stuff like he'd give me the clipboard with all the inventory stuff as a delivery was getting made. And I could sit there and mark that off. And then other than that, it was like doing homework at McDonald's, hanging out at the play place, going into the walk in freezer and seeing what's up. What was your access to burgers? You know, uh, not a lot. 
I surprisingly didn't eat as much McDonald's as you would think, because I think my parents were just like, we're around this shit all day. We don't want McDonald's. I could occasionally, I won't say occasionally, most of the times, uh, if there was a new menu item, I would get to try it like the first day when they were, you know, setting it up and everything. We'd get to try out the new menu item. All right. So um, you go there after school, do your homework. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't score like a cheeseburger. Mm-mm. That's brutal. I, they I, would. I would ring your parents now and let them have it. That well, my dad was like, "We just can't be giving away product for free." Oh. I made the mistake one time of. Um, You're gonna feed them. your son. <laughs> You're getting it here on a discount, buddy. <laughs> I remember one time telling a kid at school in like second or third grade. Hey, if you come by McDonald's, I bet you my parents will give you a free Happy Meal. One Mr. Richard Burkhart was not happy about that. Ooh. That was the first and last time I made such a claim to someone I went to school with. Did you ever have a birthday party in your parents' McDonald's? Every year until they stopped doing the McDonald's thing. Okay, that's all right. God, um, is everyone else hungry now? <laughs> Yeah, I'm about to postmate some McDonald's. You'll be hearing me chew towards the end of this episode. <laughs> if, if we ever start it. Um, and, oh, so did you know that you're talking about how you wanted to be the fry guy? Mm-hmm. Do you know there's, there was like a hierarchy like of social status of who was at... Which station? Yeah. Yes, I do. What do you think was the most high prestige spot? Grill. <laughs> right? No. Hawes, Hawes. Fry Hors. guy. Hawes. I would figure the grill because more of the product goes through the grill. You know what I mean? Like your fry station. Well, I guess back then you would have been frying pies too, though, huh? Pies, no. No, no. Okay. P- pies are down with like the nuggets and the fillet of fishes. I'm t- this is '90s McDonald's I'm vouching for. Right okay, now, okay. I I wouldn't imagine change so much. No, the well in the kitchen, the number one spot was what did they call it? Wrap. Oh, where you're wrapping everything and then putting it under the heat lamps. Yes. That's, okay. that's top spot because you're calling, you're telling people what to do. Okay. Six max, please. Four quarter pounders, 20 pack of nuggets. You, you're yelling stuff out. You're the boss. You're the sub boss. But if you want to get out of management, that's a bit of a, you know, that's a bit of a bootlicker of position. Mm-hmm. The most high-status working man spot in the McDonald's kitchen, buns. Oh, okay. Because the buns get it going. Dude, I used to love when they would take the delivery of buns off the truck. That smell <laughs> the fluffy, of the buns. Yeah. Fluffy sugar bread. Mm-hmm. Um... And the bun man, it was also the most high skill job. 
the way to wedge them in and then scrape them off the top because they'd go in this little press and you had to make sure they wouldn't stick to the top. And you're doing 12 at a time. So Mm -hmm. they'd have this giant spatula and, like, if you're a, like, pause. If I, I have to preface, if my wife ever hears this podcast, she will kill me. Uh, if she hears me going on about Carl, Carl was the best bun man I'd ever seen, Horse. <laughs> Our McDonald's was kind of new. I was there for like the opening. And Carl was a ringer brought in from Mornington McDonald's and they were sorry to lose him. (laughs) When he would walk into the kitchen, I kid you not, we would all go, oh, Carl's here, Carl. (laughs) And, you know, he was a, a quite a large fellow. Like I'm this little trying to be trendy skateboard kid. And, you know, he's the opposite of that. But in the realm of the McDonald's kitchen, couldn't have had more respect for Carl. <laughs> couldn't have had more respect. He was the man. Oh, dude. He was he was a like Jedi Knight of Buns. And the way you could spin the spatula like a showman. Oof. Oh. It was like when you go to one of those um like those Japanese steakhouses with the big hibachi grills that everybody sits around and they do the little show for you while they're cooking. Like Benny Hanna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hear that that pod like that podcast. God, I hear that restaurant sort of get dissed a little bit. Like you know that it's sort of you know like Applebee, like all those sort of American sort of chain restaurants. Mm-hmm. That place is delicious. I've never been to an actual Benihana, but I've been to plenty of like um, hibachi restaurants just like that. And I love them. I would go to one right now if it was safe. Like he made fried rice in front of us. I think he made, made, made a volcano as well out of it, made a blow flame somehow. But, oh, my God, it was the best fried rice. It was, it yeah, was... man, it's excellent. What's I'll the... Take... What's, I'll take no slander of hibachi restaurants in front of me. What's the Italian chain restaurant? Uh, Olive Garden. See, that's sort of like on the same level, I think. Okay. And it's putrid. Oh, I'm, it's I'm sorry. Bad. It, everything tastes like it's just had like a dust sprinkled over it. Like the same dust. Mm-hmm. Tastes dusty. And yeah, no, no, zero. Like, how how do you mess up spaghetti? They found a way. Like, I shouldn't. Yeah, just regret and spaghetti. Just they should not be in the same tummy. I got to tell you. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. <laughs> We've done about twenty five minutes on McDonald's and Carl. Um, oh, do you know what I am actually worried about? Sometimes my cat Jerry will sit on my keyboard and it will make something play. I'm horrified that he'll do that to this episode. Oh. And Jackie will hear it. You're away from the house with Harry and you come home and she's just real mad for some reason. (laughs) Very mad. 
<laughs> and she's like, fucking Carl. <laughs> She'd just be like, that's it. No more podcasting. You have run out of things to say. <laughs> you are out of material. <laughs> Try to go to your Twitter profile and it's just like, tweets aren't loading. <laughs> All right, 1982, glorious year. Unlike the production of The Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Jedi is not delayed by horrendous weather conditions or a burned-down soundstage. Well, that's not my Star Wars horse. <laughs> From studios in England to locations in Arizona and California, the biggest troubles while filming Jedi involve overheated costume actors and malfunctioning robots. Jedi is ultimately completed on budget and on schedule. Wow, that's cool. I bet you that was a relief for once. Well, he's got to pay off his big ranch. Mm-hmm. And there is a dope, if you are on the YouTube Enhanced, take it in. The three directors, Irvin Kirshner, George Lucas, and Richard Marquand, on the Elstree Studio set of Jedi. Why can't we have a sequel trilogy photo of that? On the set of The Rise of Skywalker, J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, and J.J. Abrams. Dude, that would be really funny if they did that and just copied and pasted J.J. Abrams on either side of Ryan Johnson. How good would the prequel version be? <laughs> just three Georges looking a little older and a little tireder. <laughs> but uh, that's super cool. That's super cool. What? That's such a small photo. What set are they on? I can't really tell. A white corridor. You know what? I bet you that's maybe like the briefing room or something. I was just, as soon as you were halfway through the sentence, I was like, home one, home one. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we have got a quote from um, Richard Marquand, director of Return of the Jedi. And we, we sort of get these quotes now with, you know, an announced director making this, you know, I get Star Wars proclamation. Um, talking about something they like. R2-D2 is probably the most egocentric, wild, headstrong and trying piece of machinery that any director could ever be cursed with on a set. Oh, no, he's talking more about the ro actual practical robot. I thought it was like a thing about... <laughs> the character? The character. Yeah, no, he's talking about the robot. Man, I guess he... Um... In between doing all that drinking and schmoozing with celebrities, he really had a problem with that animatronic. Hawes. Yes, sir. Exciting times in January. Would you like to <clears throat> take us through it? January 11th. Jedi begins filming. Principal photography begins for Revenge of the Jedi at Pinewood Studios in England. The first filmed scene has the rebel heroes preparing to leave Tatooine during a sandstorm. Production includes a partial reconstruction of the full-size steel-framed and plywood-sheathed mock-up of the Millennium Falcon, previously used in Empire, that had been built by a firm of maritime engineers at Pembroke Docks in Wales. R. <laughs> when filming is completed, the Falcon mock-up is... The Millennium Falcon is seaworthy. <laughs> Mr. Lucas. Oh, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> 
When filming is complete, the Falcon mock-up is broken down and Thou foul accent desecrate thy maritime heritage. I'm not going to do it anymore. (laughs) Okay, okay. When filming is complete, the Falcon mock-up is broken down and sold for scrap. The sandstorm... I know, that's heartbreaking. The sandstorm scene is ultimately cut from Jedi, but a few frames of footage appear in the trailer. How do you sell it for scrap? You know, Disney wouldn't be doing that. Listen... Sand Suite should have been on one of those home <laughs> shopping channels. Mm-hmm. Like, he's doing these plates. Remember those plates that were sort of like yep. had a sweet painting on a plate? Commemorative plates. Those were huge. Yeah, they did them for everything. He's whipping them out about everything. There's chess sets. All this like late 80s, 90s, just bleh. Like just, hey, here's what you don't want. Yeah. Here it is. All right. There's nothing else to buy. I'll buy it. He's more. You know, um, I think they do this with Star Wars now, like the tops collector's cards. You can get what they call an artifact card, right? Mm-hmm. That has a. So it's it's a normal sized collector's card, but it has like a little plastic window in it. Inside that will be a piece of something from the movie. So like you could get one that has a little you know, cut out square piece of orange fabric. And that's from Poe Dameron's flight suit. And I think they have ones now that have like a little piece of the Millennium Falcon in them, right? Well, because of all your lost talk, I made an impulse purchase on eBay of a lost artifact card. Here we go. That's got a little piece of one of Jack's t-shirts in it. Oh, what color? Like, Navy. Blue. Navy blue. Yep. Sick. Yep. I don't think the pieces are small enough. I mean big enough. Like if you if you if you if you're breaking down the Falcon, you know, give us a I don't know, a foot by foot square mounted. <laughs> now that I would definitely be into. Here's a thousand but... bucks sand suite. Ship it my way. <laughs> I, you know what I, um, I always get real jealous of is people that have pieces of the Death Star model like that mounted. You'll see those occasionally in collections, and it'll just be, you know, not a foot by a foot, but maybe like five by five. Yeah, um, that, that tends to be the size. Yeah, and it's like mount. It, man, that is cool. All right. I'm going to open another chapter of my life to you, Hawks. Oh, please do take me. It's like a lost flashback. <laughs> we, we already had the Carl flashback. The man behind the buns. That'd be the name of that episode. <laughs> the bun master. <laughs> so a bit after my McDonald's stint. Okay. I had, I totally flipped against corporate America. And I ran and made a punk rock music scene. Okay, I've I've heard this mentioned before. That had a Star Wars angle for just mm-hmm. the worst like hey, let's take this obscure thing and then we'll 
like brand it with this thing that's not popular anymore. And ta-da, marketing genius. But it was called Return of the Punk Guy instead of Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And each cover would have like a Star Wars cover, which admittedly was just something I like a comic book that I'd scan in and just make that the cover. It was, <laughs> there's no original art going into this. And, and this is like, I didn't even have the internet at home. So I'm, I'm just giving you the, the like the, inter- I, I would drive to my friend's house 10 mm-hmm. minutes away to use their internet. And we all shared the same email. <laughs> Rock tote at pack.com.au or something like that. Um, but I would sometimes do, I'd try to do one Star Wars article in the zine each issue. And, and the zine was like quite popular. Like we had, um, who were famous, like No Effects and Pennywise and Blink-182. 182. 182. I remember you talking about um, driving them around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I went to the like the Shane Morrissey who ran Star Walking, the, the, the fan club who's been on, on my podcast a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I went to his house to interview him. And this was like the most exciting thing out of anything I'd done with the zine was going to the guy that run the fan club's house in the suburbs of Melbourne and hanging out with him for an afternoon and going through all his stuff. And he showed me that day because in the interview, he mentioned the headbutting stormtrooper. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And he's like, oh, let me show you. <laughs> and I could not wait to get home and start ringing, hey, man, put on Star Wars, fast forward <laughs> to this bit. Like, yeah, there's no, none of this YouTube business. But they, the the fan club, and I, so I, I guess it was his, I don't know. But anyway, he had two squares of the Death Star. And... In the, maybe it was sort of 95-ish era, to go into suburban Melbourne, into this guy's house, and then out of a cupboard he pulls out, like, a piece of the Death Star. Oh, my God. It was incredible. Like, I, 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 I was like telling people for the next three months, I saw a piece of the Death Star, touched it. <coughs> Man. And then, right, this is interesting. This is, the, I, this is probably the first bit of Star Wars fan politics I ever heard of. I was buying weapons for Kenner figures from this dealer that there was a, a collectibles like um, fair which in the mid-90s were just the best, pre-eBay. Mm-hmm. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Just packed with, like, vendors, packed with customers, and you just find, oh, just the craziest, best stuff. But this guy had, um, you know, tons of Kenner figures, and he had weapons, and I had a fair few Kenner figures from my collection, but I'd lost all the weapons, so I wanted to get the weapons to fill them back out. And so I told him which ones I wanted and I met him like a couple days later 
which again, just the best. This is pre-internet. So <laughs> I, I was waiting on the side of the street in a car and then he pulled up in front of me and then I got out and got into his car and we went for it. It was like so sus, <laughs> but just for the dorkiest things. And um, I said to him, like, oh, do you ever sell stuff at the fan club? Like, you know, in the little um, vendors section, he goes, oh, no, those guys, are, they're idiots. You know, they all stand around and get all teary-eyed around their bit of foam from the Death Star. And I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, what's this guy's YouTube channel? <laughs> A true comic book guy character. Yeah. It probably wasn't pre-eBay, but it was definitely still in the era of if you buy something on eBay, you got to go get a money order and mail it off to the person and Brutal. hope they send it to you, right? So I went to something like that collector's fair at the local mall where I grew up, which is not a very big mall. But like once or twice a year, they would set something like that up in the food court and there'd be all kinds of vendors and stuff. And it was the first time I remember coming across that one thing you couldn't find anywhere. It was right when they started doing the new 12 inch star Wars figures. So probably about a year into like the power of the force stuff. And I'm going to go with 96 to seven era somewhere in there. Yeah. And I had Luke, I had Vader, Han, Leia, uh, I think Boba Fett was out by then. Maybe old, uh, you know, Obi Wan. The one I could never find Wait. that eluded me. Was it a two pack or a single pack? It was a single pack. Hmm. Chewbacca. Chewbacca was nowhere to be found by me, and so I'm at this collector's fair and I'm looking at. Spawn toys, because it's definitely the area, you know, the time of year or, you know, the time in history when Spawn McFarlane figures were a big thing. And sitting up on like this collapsible shelving system right at the top is Chewbacca, 25 bucks. Now, I think those things probably retailed for 10 or 15. Um, and it was the first time like seeing something on the shelf. Must and have like, been more than 10, surely. Yeah, I can't really remember. I think they might have been 15. Because I've got, like, in my head for Australia, like, 30. Yeah. And that probably would have been 20 American. And things, you know, out of their home country are always, you know, a little bit more because, you know, you've got a right. middleman involved, a distributor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, if they were 10, they're just giving them away. But... It was that first time seeing that thing you've been looking for everywhere mm-hmm. and couldn't find that you know exists. You can just you can't find it. And feeling like that that uh your heart stopped for a second and the <gasps> there it is. And I remember my dad being like, Why would you pay twenty five? Like these that's ten dollars more. And I was like, Dad, you can't find them anywhere. This was before they did the two packs with like Han on Tauntaun. And Luke with Wampa, I think, were two of the first ones they did. Um, great packs. God, they, great did, packs. They, good, they did some bloody good two packs. <clears throat> and I just remember, like, buying it, 
and feeling like, what if somebody tries to take this from me while I'm leaving? I'm carrying literal gold in my hands. And just being very disappointed when I got home, by the way, and took it out of the package. Because that 12-inch Chewbacca is pretty goofy looking. It's a fluffy one, yeah. Yeah, and he feels like he's got hairspray in his fur, and yeah. which he probably did to try to keep it in, in shape and stuff. Yeah, they, they, the, the fur is... um. That's an issue. How do the um, how do the hot toys go with the fur? I, you know, I don't have one that has fur. I don't have a Chewbacca yet, but the ones I've seen look pretty good. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have anything that's like all the cloth stuff on them is very good. But yeah, I don't have like a a Chewbacca or the Wicket that's about to come out soon. Um. The um, I remember being shocked by the concept that some toys were harder to get than others. Yeah. It, it just, yeah, it just stunned me. Like, you can't just get everything? Yeah, like, what was the one that was harder for people to find from the original... Power of the Force 2. I think it was Leia was the short-packed one I'm in that original set. I... If this was the last episode we were going to do, mm-hmm. I would I would give you my Leia, my, 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 my version of your Chewbacca story about Power of the Force 2, Monkey Face Leia. Oh, whoa. But, but, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, we're just... We've only read two pieces of information from Barely. this page. And, yeah. uh, and, and and we have got that to look forward to. In um, Yeah, about that'll f- definitely be in the book. The day I found one. That's comprehensive. Yeah, I've got a really good story about seeing those. Fi- yeah, we'll, we'll save it. There's oh. a little teaser for about 30 episodes from now. Oh, I'll see you in the future, mate. Yeah. Hey, hey. Oh. In a very lostish thing, but on a very um, ghetto version, someone three years in the future could be like listening to this, and then they can just time travel right to that story now. Yep. Yep. When we're all living in our security bubbles. Oh my goodness. Um, Sandstorm Scene is ultimately cut from Jedi. So for those unfamiliar, after the skiff flies off from um, the exploding sail barge, the a lot of the dialogue from when Han and Luke are leaving... Tatooine, um, that discussion takes place during a sandstorm as they walk back to the Falcon, the X-Wing, and mm-hmm. a Y-Wing. Yeah, what's the Y-Wing there for? Because Leia... No, who flew? Oh, okay. Okay, so Chewbacca and Lando... When in the Falcon. Leia in the Y-Wing. Luke in the X-Wing. 
right? Yeah, and I feel like the Y-Wing was a two-person one and that's how C-3PO got there. Oh, okay. I think. But you can see some um, in some of the like the really sort of good books, and I'm probably when you Google online, but of like map paintings of um, the ships parked on Tatooine. It's pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it looks really cool. And I always thought Luke's... Um, sandstorm gear with the poncho and the goggles was kind of neat looking too mm, mm. and just an extra scene out of return of the jedi yeah give it to me actually i think my hot toy return of the jedi luke came with the poncho and the goggles Ooh. he can put that on when he's a hot toy yeah hey Pause. Would you Here like to enter the Ewok? <laughs> well, I mean, it's not anything I've ever considered, but I'll give anything a try. Jedi introduces the Ewoks, natives of Endor. Kenny Baker is assigned to play the principal Ewok, Wicket, but takes ill and is replaced by 11-year-old Warwick Davis, who stands 89 centimeters, 2 feet 11 inches tall. Jedi's first assistant director, David Tomlin, who also worked on Superman, The Empire Strikes Back, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, directs Davis in an improvised movie that is filmed concurrently with Jedi and is eventually titled Return of the Ewok. Hmm. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to measure Harry tonight. I want to know when he's exactly Ewok height or Wicked height. Oh, Ooh, that is important information to know. He's happy, happy wicket day we can have. Um, I don't know. Warwick Davis, wicket the Ewok. Like that picture of him, which is sort of a really popular merchandising picture, like puzzles, um, coloring books, posters, of him just standing in the forest with his spear. His little mm-hmm. tummy and his, his cape off to one side. How just warm and happy does that make you feel, Hawes? So this is one of those things that, like, before we really knew each other, really connected with me, like listening to your podcast, is the whole not realizing that people didn't like Ewoks. <laughs> I've never been one of those people who's been against Ewoks. I've always liked them. You know, when I first saw Star Wars at four, I could watch the whole trilogy and a four-year-old is going to be about the Ewoks big time. And so, yeah, I don't get the Ewok hate. And I know anytime somebody says the word Ewok, this exact picture of Wicket is what pops into my head. I think it was his Kenner photo as well on the card. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that figure, which was kind of because it was later on in the in the series, was a little bit harder to get. Yes. And oh, he's just his tummy and little tuckus when you take off his hood. It's too much. <laughs> Have I ever told you my Warwick Davis story from Star Wars Celebration? Hit me. So this was Celebration last year in Chicago. <clears throat> And it was me, Jesse, Johnny, 
and maybe one other person, maybe Aaron Boyd was with us. And I can't remember where we were going. I feel, oh, I know exactly when it was. It was after. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I, I've, I, I, let's just note of, you know, when you realize something you should have done. Uh-huh. Please let the world get back to normal. I've, I've, I've got a, you've just given me like one of my, my biggest Star Wars celebration regrets. What's that? No, no. Tell this story and then, and then we'll come back. So I believe it was after, it was one of the panels. It was either, it might've been the episode nine panel and the handicap entrance to get out of the arena or the exit rather was different than everybody else was taken. And we were going through some like back hallways in the arena and Jesse's pushing him in my wheelchair. Johnny's right in front of me and someone else was there with us. I can't remember who. And from just behind my left shoulder, I hear mechanical wheels like going. And then I hear, (laughs) yeah. And I hear somebody go, you want to have a race? And I turn and Warwick Davis whips past me on his Segway and like smiles and waves at us. And Johnny turns around. He was like, bro, Warwick Davis just asked if you wanted to have a race, bro. Star Wars celebration. It was, uh, it was very memorable. He was very nice. That's, that is very good. <clears throat> I, I, um, yeah, I've missed that so much. <laughs> I do too, dude. And you know, it's, it's gonna, it's bad now because now's the time when Jesse and I'd be getting really excited. Like, Oh, we're going on vacation. It's coming up. It's only about a month away. Next week is, or not next week. Next month is going to be rough. Yeah. Cause I know, um, comic con must be coming up and they're going to have that virtual thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a virtual, like knife twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, you know, I will say one thing that this whole, thing has made me realize is like I got to get off my ass about doing some of the stuff I want to do when we're able to do stuff again like comic-con I've wanted to go to comic-con since I was a teenager like I need to get off my ass and make that happen the uh yeah for real comic-con oh man I'm gonna have to like find a, a, a tropical pool or get some ferns and put it around a little pond and sit, uh-huh. sit a, a distance away from, from Nathan and drink Tecates all afternoon. It's, <laughs> it's going to be very sad, very sad. Um, that, that story is epic. I'm a big fan. Yeah, man. And that's one of those just, yeah, you can be – being ushered through by security through some back hallway at an arena and Warwick Davis speeds past you at the speed of light 
and is super friendly, turns around and waves and is laughing, and then that's it. This is tiny little Star Wars. Like, I, I, I love this guy. He just made a wheelchair race joke to me. I heard he did it to a dude on crutches as well and, like, tripped him up and laughed on the way <laughs> off. Well, you know, maybe that guy, he he read some forum posts or something about how much the Ewoks sucked from that guy. Cool. But he didn't have to worry about that from me. The um, my, my corresponding story to that Star Wars celebration is seeing John Knoll. Oh, that's a good one. And asking him, hey, do you ever, like, see stuff? like photoshopped on the internet that's like so crazy and you're just like what did i create <laughs> that's an excellent question to ask him kudos and he sort of just looked at me bewildered and he's like uh i guess <laughs> <laughs> now it keeps him up at night <laughs> he had never considered it before that very moment and like he's just scrolling through Twitter looking at bad photoshops or well, just, crazy photoshops. Well just imagine all the like the photoshops that have ever been done. Like the, yeah. the worst of. Like the worst like hundred million. <laughs> but then you start even at the good ones. Like it'd still be just there's been a lot of disturbing photoshops. Yeah. Um, but yes, my, my Star Wars celebration regret, because you're talking about Warwick Davis. I'm like, oh, I love, you know, Wicket so much. Um, I, you know, I'd love to have a, like a, like he's like that iconic in Star Wars to me that, because I'm not big into autographs. Right, because it's got to it's got to sort of um, make sense mm-hmm. to my life, um, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" The perfect thing to get him to autograph would be the cape of my childhood Ewok. Yeah, man, that's perfect. Damn it! Hey, man, twenty twenty two, make it happen. Jabba's new look, Hawks. Yes, sir. Although Jabba has appeared as a biped alien in Marvel Star Wars comics, the character is reimagined. Oh! What? <laughs> as the enormous animatronic puppet for Jedi. ILM's Phil Tippett works with sketches by concept artist Ralph McQuarrie and Nilo Rodas Jumero to design the puppet. The completed Jabba the Hutt, now with two T's, is performed by three puppeteers, David Barkley, right hand and mouth, Toby Philpot, left hand, head and tongue, and Mike Edmonds, up the back on the tail. Mike Edmonds has the worst job. <laughs> Have you ever seen the footage of that poor dude in that costume all cramped up operating that tail? Poor guy. It looks like he's trying to move the island. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. That's a sweet lost reference for everyone. Yes, it is. Man, the other one, like, 
when you watch the making of documentaries and they are focusing on the operation of the, the Java animatronic is the guy that's just sitting on a stool with a tube chain smoking cigarettes and blowing the smoke into the tube to make it look like Jabba's smoking. Best job. For real. Just love my work. It's addictive. <laughs> so they got this photo of Jabba the Hutt. He's flaps of skin and shining and giant eyes. He's looks like he's he's he's, he's got a broken nose. His nostrils are very unaligned. They are, but just just respect to the the character and the. Just Jabba the Hutt. How rad is Jabba the Hutt? Like, we take him for granted. I think he's great. He's great in the movie. He's great in toy form. Uh, he's just so good. And like, one of the best puppets ever made. I've never thought about this till now. But he's a visual representation of what he is. Like, mm-hmm. like that sort of... You know, in a a young kid sort of format, like the the Nelson Munts at high school or at mm-hmm. primary school, that sort of older bully. No matter how they look, that's that's the vibe they give off. Yeah, he's a slimy gangster. All right, in February, Koo Stark, Princess Andrew meets Koo Stark, Cammy from the deleted scenes in Star Wars, in a London disco. The tabloids monitor the pair until they part ways 18 months later. What a shame. Big fan of Cammy, might I add. Cammy, um, she does look like she could have been Ray's grandma. Yeah. We could have had. If, if romance was on our side, Princess Cammy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I think old Prince Andrew has more to worry about than former, former girlfriends right now. True. You bring up a pertinent point there. But um, you know what that would have meant? What's that? More Cammy. That is true. I actually... Um, when we were getting ready to record, like while I was waiting, release the cami cut. <laughs> I uh, by I royal up, decree. I looked up Koo Stark on Wikipedia to see what she's up to. Mm-hmm. She's a uh, a pretty famous photographer now. Really? Yeah. April. Unfinished comic. This story is very strange. Formerly titled Star Wars Weekly, Marvel UK's The Empire Strikes Back 155 presents the five-page story Dark Lord's Conscience by Norsent comic book writer. Is that how you say that word? Norsent? Nascent. Nascent. Sorry. Pardon me. No problem. You know when you just don't, like, I was like, I don't really know that word. And then when you said nascent, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that one. I'm, um. 
It was hiding in plain sight. Comic book writer Alan Moore and artist John Stokes. Unfortunately, Marvel provides Stokes with an incomplete script and the published result is a story without a conclusive ending. Wow. You know who Alan Moore is, yeah? Splinter of the Mind's Eye? No, that's Alan Dean Foster. Ah. Alan Moore, and I, until right now didn't realize this that he wrote any star wars that's the writer of watchmen ah <clears throat> that's not actually his his real name did you know that i did not cuz they just call him that that's his nickname in the comic book industry cuz he sends mm. in his stories and the editor writes back alan more <laughs> Oh, man. Alan Moore looks like, uh, kind of looks like looking into a time machine for me sometimes. Do you know what he looks like? No. I'm about to send, I'll text you a picture of him. I can see a future where, you know, maybe there's some confusion going on with me. So there's a chance that you'll be at some local comic con. A real old school one. Mm-hmm. And, and someone will start yelling at you for not completing... Dark Lord's conscience. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm just checking out this photo, which this this is already content for the um, enhanced visual edition. Whoa. All right. <laughs> With that hair, I, it could go either way. It's either you cosplaying as Hurley or Hurley <laughs> cosplaying as you. I like that. I like that. Also like his fancy jacket. At first I thought it was sort of like a Luke Skywalker at the end of uh, a New Hope type deal. But no, it's way fast, uh, fancier than that. It's something. that That's a lot of hair he's carrying there. Yeah, I feel his pain. <laughs> uh... Hawes. Yes, sir. I don't know if you know this, right? Mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi, because the, the third Star Wars movie was so, you know, the public wanted to know. So they had to go into secret and use a code name for the film. Uh, I've heard something about this. And this is one of, like, the first sweet bit of Star Wars trivia things that I ever learnt. Me too. And that is Blue Harvest. Oh, it just rolls off the tongue. Do you want to do this one, Hawes? Yeah, maybe I'll take this one. Okay. Don't tear up. I'll do my best. After five months of covert set construction... Jedi begins filming in Buttercup Valley near Yuma, Arizona, under the cover name Blue Harvest. Because the location is popular with dune buggy riders, the set is surrounded by a chain-link fence and patrolled by round-the-clock security guards. After an infiltrator takes photographs of a model and leaks them to the press, producer Howard Kazanjian continues to insist that he is not working on a Star Wars movie. This is Blue Harvest, I'd be saying. It's about horror beyond imagination. 
think I talked about this. I did an episode where um, I went through my Star Wars trivia and poster book. Yes. That um, And I, I think I talked about this here in, in that. But when I was a little kid and they talked about, you know, it was getting called Blue Harvest and they had the photo of the Sarlacc and they had the logo, you know, that, that famous Blue Harvest logo, which mm-hmm. you have, of course, used um, across the years. And horror beyond imagination. So I used to always wonder how the Sarlacc pit fitted into this horror film. Oh, okay. Like, in the horror film, did it move around the sand? Yeah. Were there multiple ones? It's hard to imagine just a stationary Sarlacc pit being that horrifying. The concept of being tossed into the Sarlacc pit is horrifying. In a galaxy without caution signs. Just... One pit reigns supreme. Just don't go to that neck of the woods and you don't have to worry about the Sarlacc. Couldn't do it. No signs in that galaxy. This is true. Um, Yeah, I just always wonder about that. But Buttercup Valley Horse. I have visited this magical location. I know. And... This is what's up, everyone. I'm not here to tell you how you live life. I'm just here to judge it. Trip to Buttercup Valley, better than Galaxy's Edge. Whoa. Hey, man. Whoa. That's quite the claim. So... We were driving, we were on a Thanksgiving road trip. We were living the American dream. Our friend Kate, uh, PRK as we call her, she came over and this was pre-Harry. So the world was our oyster as far as um, car rides go. At the moment, about two hours is our oyster. Right. Um, And we drove, so crisscrossed, our way from like the Grand Canyon, Buttercup Valley, and then we ended up in Roswell, New Mexico. Dude, you're hitting all the places I want to go. That's why we're buddies. I know, man. I would love to check out Roswell. It's it's a very amusing 40 minutes of your life. I bet. (laughs) Um, So we went, you know, I, I sort of, you know, we're trying to work out you know, things to go see and like how far is that thing and does that fit in? And I was sort of like, ooh, looking at the map and I was like, ooh, maybe there's a Sarlacc pit visit in this. And I, and it was in, it would have been maybe like the first major thing we visited, maybe the second. And, and, I, and I pitched it to the team and I said, this is my one, this is my Star Wars cash in for the trip. And I won the team over. Nice. And so then I started reading about, you know, people that had gone there before. And there's, what is that guy's name? David Reese. David. He used to be sort of like an archaeologist sort of person that used to write for the Star Wars Insider. I know who you're talking about, but I can't remember his name. 
David Reynolds? Hmm. Anyway, he had done a bunch of articles in the Insider or whatever it was called then uh, about visiting locations in, in Buttercup Valley. And there's a few websites with people that had visited. Um, one of the websites, I just know in the photos, like Gus Lopez was in the photos. So there you go. Celebrity, um, Star Wars celebrity. Yep. So I, there's a lot of information about how to get there. And it's about a kilometre walk from where you can drive to. So, you know, a bit under half a mile. But it's in, like, the desert, and it's not recommended. So I inquired. Thank God I did, because this lady had, like, just just good enthusiasm for our enthusiasm. I hired one of those sand buggy people to meet us. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And be like our sand buggy um, Uber around um, the the Dune Sea horse, and it was just tremendous driving on the freeway there. And then you sort of don't notice, but then all you know, all signs and all you know remains of human life are gone except the freeway. And you can just look to the side and, you know, you're going like 60 miles per hour and they'll look out your window. I kid you not, because that's what it is. It is like you're on the sail barge looking out the window. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. Because all you can see is Tatooine. Mm -hmm. And when I looked up and saw, I just got like these bizarre goosebumpy tingles. Like it just just connected things in my brain in such a pleasing manner. There was, there was some sweet endorphins flowing due to these piles of sand. And um, so where you park at the the national park, it's sort of like this little village of um, very seemingly Carney-esque dune buggy lifestyle people. So there's all those, um, like Winnebago's and like a mm-hmm. little traveling village of dune buggy enthusiasts from around America. And everyone's got giant flags and, and, and flags of their dune buggy gang. It's, it'd be like, imagine the 501st are into <coughs> dune buggies. Oh man, it's swoop gangs. Right. And they've all got logos and, you know, oh. patches and all that sort of stuff. But there's this huge like portable village and then there's like this merch stand selling all this dune buggy t-shirt merchandise, and <laughs> oh, I would be coming away with some souvenirs. Oh, dude, I was like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna get the worst one. Yes, exactly. But <laughs> there was no like worst one that was good. Oh, I gotcha. It was. Yeah, I, I don't want to, you know, if anyone's living that dune buggy streetwear lifestyle, you know, all good. But, um, yeah, some very, like, you know, if it, if it said Stone Cold Steve Austin or something, and it was from 20 years ago, because it had that, it would let people know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. But these, it was, yeah, no bites. 
no, literally no buys. <laughs> and I did go over very keen. But little did I know, Hawes, that the collectibles were coming thick and fast soon after. We dune buggied over sort of through this little valley and it sort of opens up into this like giant like football stadium like flatbed of dune. And then, like, there's big sort of, like, stadium seating dunes all around. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I can – I totally – I'm in – I've got the picture in my head. Yeah, so, like, um, Geonosis, the mm-hmm. the sacrif- – whatever, the Geonosis Arena. But they were – it's a much bigger space, and then the grandstands are just sand dunes. And there's this one really big sand dune where all the dune buggy enthusiasts park down the bottom, and it's sort of like – a badge of honor, test of strength, whatever, a proving ground to drive up that main dune and make it to the top. It's sort of like oh, their thing. Okay. It's like, yeah, today I'm going to do dune buggy delight. Oh, man, Jimmy's doing the delight. Like, it's, it's their Jedi trial. Yes. Oh, like I'm, I'm sure there's um in the Ewok cartoon, there's things where you have to you know, grab a, a, a cherry from a, a beehive or something to become a, a fully-fledged Ewok or something. But, so we're cruising around and, like, the lady that was driving us was a very good dune buggy rider, driver, which is terrifying. <laughs> like, there was one, she was on, like, the edge of the dune and it sort of felt like we were surfing on it. Oh, my goodness. And like sort of, you know, when a roller coaster sort of goes around a corner and it's not going super fast, but it's getting ready for a big dip. Like that. Without the tracks or the very lucrative lawsuit to the Walt Disney Company. Oh, man. I wonder, right, (laughs) if Mm -hmm. I was on a ride at Disneyland... And maybe you know they they um they they tamper with something there after my harsh comments comparing it to Buttercup Valley, you know maybe Bobby Eyes out to you know get me out of commission, and they snip something so when you know the rise of the resistance goes around the corner I fly off. <laughs> no, but I wonder if in the air I will think about the lawsuit. Oh, dude, I bet you, if not in the air, shortly after impact, right? Mm. Like, like I think you probably just get up and brush yourself off and be like, well, time to retire, I guess. Because in that infamous Paul Jones skateboarding clip of me, where I twist my ankle, mm-hmm. are you like trying to reply like you don't know about it? I have. I've heard it. But I'm here to tell you, I've never watched it. No way. I've never watched it for two reasons because, and this is this is not me sucking up. I don't like seeing my friends get hurt. And I have, like, I get too anxious with any of those, like, skate trick gone wrong videos and stuff. You know what I mean? They, like, ugh. Like, it just, I, I, I can't watch, like, compilations of people messing up. BMX tricks or skate tricks. Like that's just not my, I would rather see 
the successful version than the people hurting themselves. Seeing skateboarding slams is probably my least favorite thing. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of people that that's what they're into, right? Like, Yeah, like when we were younger, they used to have, like, <coughs> every skateboard video it was a trope that have the slam section. And, you know, in the early ones, they were quite mostly lighthearted slams. But then as skateboarding sort of revved up, you know, with big handrails and gaps, it got quite... Oh. And... I think when I was young, like you sort of like, oh, a slam section, but you'd, and then as, as I got older and like my body would just find that like emotionally triggering. Right. I was like, nah, we're, we're, we're fast forwarding that. But as I fell backwards in that clip, I do remember thinking about things I'd have to cancel that week. <laughs> oh man. So I wonder if whilst I was um, in the air, I'd be sort of trying to think of who, like if I'd met any lawyers ever. Robbo, I'd be straight on the phone. Oh, and you know what? I bet you, man, he would come through with you in a big way, I bet. Hell yeah. He'd be like, Steel, don't worry about it. I've got this. This is better than poisoned Ewoks. <laughs> so, yeah, we cruised around. And in the photos <coughs> on the internet, they were finding bits of foam mm-hmm. near some rocks. And thank the maker, in this whole giant football field of sand dune, there's only one limited area that had rocks. The will of the force, Hawes. This was my holding the dagger up to the Death Star. Was me holding my iPad up (laughs) of these rocks and finding the corresponding rocks. Oh my God. I actually did that dagger on a different trip, but we went to Death Valley and I did that with the mountains of R2-D2 going over the hill. And when I connected the mountain range with the one in my photo or the one on my iPad with what was visually in front of me, again, the synopsis is like charge. And I, I got this bizarre, I was like, I'm in Star Wars. Like for like two yeah. seconds, I was on Tatooine. Insane. But um, so we went over there and I began to find like bits of foam, like painted foam. And I'm like, this is a Sarlacc pit. This is it. These are bits of the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> and Jackie and Kate were just, yeah, that's good steel. Mm. And then I started finding like bits of two by four and screws and bigger bits of foam. And then you could see them like they clicked and like actually believed me instead of just mm-hmm. humoring me. Cause I didn't want to, um, I guess deal with my sadness in the car for the next two weeks. But we collected like a bunch of, of like foam sarlacc pit pieces and two by fours. And, you know, the two by fours were all, you know, like corroded and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it looks pretty sick. Uh, uh, maybe eroded is the uh, the proper definition. And um, I got a big bucket of Tatooine sand 
and filled that in a fish tank and my little Lego sail barge and sahak pit are currently on actual Tatooine sand. That is, that's perfect. That's one of those like Star Wars locations that I've always wanted to visit that feels obtainable because Tunisia off the books, you know, like probably not the best idea. We've talked about it before, like how I've wanted to visit Tunisia. Um, And in a perfect world, I've got this dream trip to Arizona planned that involves going to Buttercup Valley and also Jerome, Arizona. What's Jerome? Jerome is where the lead singer of Tool lives. And it was, it still is, it's like a, it used to be a small mining town. And he moved there in, I want to say, the mid-90s and started a vineyard and started making his own wine. And since then, he's put a lot of money into building the town of Jerome up. So he's got like uh, a tasting room where you can go and try out the wines. He's got a record store, a barber shop, a couple of restaurants and stuff. Um, and I've always wanted to go and check it out because that's it's like my favorite band. And this is a town that their lead singer basically helped revitalize. Like he put his money back into this town that he moved into. Tight. Yeah. I almost went cause there's a, a law where you can't have alcohol delivered in Bur- in, uh, Alabama. Yeah. I've heard so of I've, that. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been able to try out his wine because you can order it online, right? Ah. And when we were in California a couple of years ago, I got on the website and found out that they sell it at a place called Silver Lake Wines. Yeah, yeah. Silver Lake, just uh, probably about half an hour away from here. Yeah, and I was like, oh, we got to go by there and get a bottle of wine. And Jesse was like, hey, man, let, let's be realistic about this trip. We're trying to do a whole lot so that we never made it over there. <laughs> Couldn't um. Hey, let's let's drive ninety minutes out of the way for a bottle of wine. Yeah, uh, you know I have these thoughts like that, where I like, oh, I want to do this, and thankfully I have Jesse to bring me back down to earth with these crazy <laughs> thoughts. But a trip to Ari- if we were to go to Arizona, I think Yuma and Jerome are only two or three hours away from each other. Okay, sounds like a good trip. Yeah, and. There's several houses in the area that, I think there's three, one main one, that are built out of parts of the sail barge. Really? Yeah. And the lady said, if I ever come <laughs> back, she'll, uh, she'll take me, show me the, the, Sarlacc, the, the sail barge houses. That's awesome. How sick is that? That is awesome. Imagine your house was a sail barge. Imagine like you didn't know and you just kept having like like dreams of like yak <laughs> yep. face blowing up, like nightmares, like a, you know, like the, the Star Wars fan equivalent of your house is on an Indian burial ground. <laughs> so you just keep like reliving each, each action figure exploding. Boba Fett falling into the pit. Max, no! <laughs> oh, you dreaming again, honey? Yeah. 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 I keep having this. 
these dreams about this blue elephant man exploding. And I, I don't know why. Like you'd never seen Star Wars, so you can't make the connection. <laughs> and a, a, like a camel or a yak man or something. And I see him for like two seconds and then he explodes. But I feel like he's very expensive. Yeah, so Buttercup Valley. Cannot recommend it enough. And I took my childhood uh, Luke Jedi Knight out there. Had to. Had to be done. And uh, he ignit the, ignit, ignited the green with, funnily enough, the lightsaber that I bought off that toy dealer decades before. Nice. You know what you got to do when you go back? What? You take your lightsaber. Yes. I did take a um, a plastic one. Yeah, but now you got to take that Eric Strothers joint with you. Strothers. <clears throat> he makes it do all this crazy stuff. I know, man. I was, um, before, you know, the pandemic hit, I was texting him about uh, commissioning him for an Obi-Wan lightsaber from A New Hope, and he was telling me all these different options, and I was like, Buddy, you are talking some jargon that I do not understand right now. I think on the ones he builds, if you hit the right button, it goes, (laughs) Who got what? He like, like, I just want a car to drive around in and he's, he's like got it, the hydraulics in it and all that sort of stuff. Gold wing doors. (laughs) Uh, it does sort of have a gullwing door. It little opens up a little um, segment. But, uh, yeah, great times at Buttercup Valley. And if you are watching the um, the enhanced version, we already know this, but so this is sizzle for those that aren't, but I'll put in some photos of my little trip out there. Great times. Would you like to hit us with Endor Location? Yeah, another uh, location that seems fe- feasible for us to go visit. Production continues from late April through May near Smith River on Miller Rellum Bedwood Company land and in the giant redwood forest near Crescent City in northwestern California. Locations which serve as the forest moon of Endor. The forest terrain is especially difficult for the costume actors, and those playing Ewoks jokingly tell production assistant Ian Bryce that they have left for the airport before they arrive on set wearing <laughs> Revenge of the Ewok t-shirts. This is a little Ewok strike. Bit yeah. of union action. Yeah. Uh, Chief Charpa ended up being the scab that crossed the line. Oh. Chirpa. I always thought it was weird that he was the chief. But I, I, I don't know. I sort of thought Low Gray was pulling the strings. Right, he he wears the outfit that you would think like that's that's the guy. He's got the the fancy song, the Yukon Dukandora, Yukon Dukandora. Excellent. Yeah. How good's this photo of the main cast pose on the set of Endor? It's great. That was a few jigsaw puzzles. It sure was. Man, Chewie got his hair dead that morning, too. Look at that hair, those bangs. None of this 1996 12-inch action. No, no, man. 
Then we close it out. So I, I did text halls and say we'd only get one page done and um, self-fulfilling prophecy because what is 82? It's a... It's a long one. There's two, oh, there's some giant heads. Oh, there's some great photos coming up. But yeah, it's um, it's probably one, two, three, three pages of full content and then a few spreads. So um, we're only only up to April, but guys, we're all over Carl the Bunmaster. Yeah, man, and that's what counts. That's what counts. So um, yeah, we'll be back next episode for a patron exclusive and we'll duck into may of uh return of the jedi pre-year and oh my god there's some good this is this is just oh what an error what an error but we'll close out with this also in 1982 revenge or return numerous members of the production work under the impression that the title is Revenge of the Jedi. Oh, damn it. Producer Howard Kanzangillian favours revenge and stickers with that title and Yoda's image are used to tag equipment and film cans. Howard, you're meant to be under the radar here, buddy, with your blue harvest. Couldn't resist. Um, Yoda revenge sticker, the same design is used for a patch worn by cast and crew. For those just listening to the podcast, it's a, um, yeah, revenge of the Jedi in a rectangle, then with a circle of Yoda and then star Wars underneath that, which they also brought out a patch later on, um, that you could buy commercially with return. I believe in my archives, Back in Melbourne, I've got both these patches. Ooh, that's cool. I've definitely got the Black Revenge of the Jedi patch. Mm. You know, just the logo. Yeah. I have a vast array of Star Wars patches that will one day be sewn onto hoodies. It's a multi. It's a, it's a multi-decade. You know what we need to do? We need to get you like a uh, a Boy Scout sash. Yes. And we sew them on those like uh, your uh, what do they call them? Oh man, I was a Boy Scout and I can't even remember what those are called. Badges. The badges. Yeah, but they're um, merit badges. Merit badges. That's it. So um. I guess, and I want to go back um, and ask you something about the start of the uh, year as well, as far as um, thumbs up, thumbs down. Revenge or return, Hawes? Was was the decision right to, to switch back after switching back? Yeah, return all the way, especially when you get, you know, 23 years down the line and you get to make that sweet fucking callback re- with Revenge of the Sith. Yes. It was so it was so weird when Revenge of the Sith got announced and it's like, yes, finally someone's getting revenge. Yeah. Sick. Like it sort of had extra cachet because like I don't know, Revenge of the Jedi was so like revered. 
mm-hmm. you know, like the poster and all that sort of stuff. It's such a, like a real, like if, if you're doing a Who magazine, you know, it's Star Wars is being released and you're like, you know, the 10 most famous Star Wars collectibles. Star Wars collectible must-haves, whatever. Revenge of the Jedi poster variant. It's got to be in there. It's definitely in there. It's a classic. It is a classic. Um, Yeah, of course. Return. You don't revenge. Now, how about this one for a thumbs up, thumbs down? Sandstorm or just flying off in the ships? And you don't even see Han Solo. They couldn't (laughs) even get him to do um, some more dialogue for it. Um... I'm going to go with Sandstorm, I think, because I like the costumes. Got to go with Sandstorm. Yeah. It's also just so fascinating to have, like, you sort of don't think about it, but it's like the Falcon's parked. Yeah. It's parked. Like, I'd never even imagined that. But it's just over there. Like, the, the fact that, they sort of put in the thought of like, well, we have to work out what vehicles would be there in what mm-hmm. order. Cause when you're a little kid, it's just like, yeah, you just put ships. Like you don't really, I think as I got older, like even like realizing wedge was in multiple movies, it's like, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. They, they, they didn't have to make it connect that well, but here we are. So I thought it was really cool to see him. And, and it would have been cool to have, um, like the facials of sort of Han giving props to Luke. Yeah, for sure. Like, I, I think, you know, I'm of two minds because there's another pretty famous deleted scene, which is Luke building his green lightsaber. Okay. And that one, while cool, and it's neat to see him build it, to me is a better exclusion because it ruins the surprise of R2 launching the saber. So when you talk about famous deleted scenes from Return of the Jedi, I say lose Luke building the lightsaber, keep the sandstorm. Pause, are we ever going to have an argument on this show? (sighs) Maybe. Mm. We might. Well, I think as long as you keep respecting Carl... The hey man, I got nothing but love in my heart for Carl. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. But um, the the thing about the construction scene, like it, it's so cool, but it then gets rid of the surprise of where the lightsaber is, and then it's mm-hmm. green. Yes. Yeah. Um, it for the for the pacing of the film, much like um you know, deleting Luke out of A New Hope at the start on Anchorhead and stuff. And Cammy, Princess yep. Cammy, um, it does, like, make for a better reveal of the Luke Skywalker character later on, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. All right, sweet man. That is the uh, <laughs> first couple of months of a red-hot 1982 yeah, this is a good section. 
And um, as I mentioned before, the next episode, next two episodes will be Patreon exclusive. So the rest of 82 exclusive for our patron supporters. And oh man, there's so much good stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm doing the customary skip ahead a little bit in the book, mainly because I wanted to go to 2004 and see if the premiere of Lost is listed. It is not. We've made up for that. Yeah, we sure have. Uh, But, oh, my God, there's just so much. I love that. I think, um, for me, my most sentimental um, period of Star Wars is, is Return of the Jedi production photos. They're really good. Because I, I had that had that book, like that, the poster book and stuff that had them. And it, I sort of, like, that was the the first time I got to experience that whole seeing something before the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like they knew, like, it was going to be the last one, at least for a little while. So they, there's some really good, like, behind the scenes and production photos. So good, so good. Hawes, tell yes, the good people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me at Blue Harvest Pod on Twitter and every week on Blue Harvest with my buddy Will. Awesome. And uh, you can find me at Steel Wars over all Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and my podcast is called Steel Wars, <laughs> funnily enough. <laughs> and... Um, we're doing an episode tonight, I think, Hawes. Oh, is this... Um, I heard you talk about it on your latest question and answer episode. With Yak Face? No, that, one's, that one uh, will be the week after. Okay. But Yak Face is coming. We've got... Um, you know, they just announced this... Um, the new Clone Wars cartoon, The Bad Batch. Yes. And... Two of my favorite pieces of Star Wars content. The the um What is it called now? What's Corey's YouTube channel called? Castle Run Transmissions. Castle Runs Transmissions. They have they, they they keep changing the name and they've mashed it together. Castle Run Transmissions. Love that show. And also the Canto Bike Dispatch. And, oh, yeah, are you are you doing excitement versus disappointment with Corey and Emily? They're all coming on. We've got Noah. Oh, we've got Brittany. And God. Noah and it's... Corey are going to try convince Emily and Brittany why they should be excited about it. Can you call me on Skype and just, I won't say a word. I'll mute myself. <laughs> I can't wait. Like, I can't wait however long it takes to release. Like, this is the Summer Slam of Star Wars podcast. <laughs> and I'm main oh, Jane. What an excellent. Let me come on and be your JR. <laughs> Man, that is a very good idea. I can't wait to hear that. So, yeah, that should be up before the end of the week. Man, you got to ask Yak Face if uh, he's ever thought about 
applying for some compensation from Hasbro because he does a better job of promoting their products than they do. <laughs> He's pretty good at it. He's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Oz. That was the uh, the bestest of fun. Thank you to our patrons for supporting the show and uh, making it possible. And may that force be with you. See ya. Hey, you guys. Just a heads up. If you enjoyed the Lost Chatter, this podcast Hawes and I just recorded a special edition of Star Wars Year by Podcast where we go into the future to discuss the entire Lost series for over two hours. So if you've been into the Lost chat, make sure you hit Star Wars Year by Podcast episode 19, double episode week, And 19 is exclusive for both our Patreon feeds. So either go to Blue Harvest or Steel Wars on Patreon. At the $3 level, you get access to all the audio content, including this very special Lost edition of Star Wars You by Podcast. (laughs) 